Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, July 26, 2023. Our guest today is Alastair Crook. What is the counter-revolution all about? But first, this. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Lear Capital. Are you tired of feeling helpless while roller coaster markets and economic uncertainty wreak havoc on your savings? It's time to take control of your financial future and consider investing in gold. Gold has a long history as a safe haven for investors who want to diversify their wealth against economic uncertainty. Unlike paper investments, gold is easy to buy and easy to sell and easy to store and has never been worth zero. You all know that I am a a paid spokesperson for Lear Capital. I know the folks at Lear. I trust the folks at Lear. I do my investing in gold and silver at Lear, and you should do the same. Lear has over 25 years of experience in the business and thousands of five-star reviews and a 24-hour purchase guarantee, risk-free. When I buy gold, I choose Lear. So call my friends at Lear. Use the 800 number below. Tell them the judge sent you, 800-511-4620. Get your gold and silver wealth protection information. Get your investor information. Get your questions answered with no pressure and no obligation to purchase. And for a limited time, you might be able to qualify for a $15,000 bonus gold with a qualifying purchase. So call my friends at Lear, 800-511-4620, or do as I do and go on the internet, learjudgenap.com. Alistair Crook uh, joins us now. Alistair, uh, always a pleasure, uh, my dear friend. You have written uh, another brilliant, gifted, and challenging article called Counter-Revolution. Do you know what time it is? Um, What is the significance of the phrase today in in conservative political parlance of he knows what time of day it is. What he knows is the time of day is that if we don't fight and beat, if you like this, the culture revolution, the wokeish, climatist, or color revolution now, now, 
then there won't be anything left in the United States left to conserve. It's not about waiting and uh, trying to have consensus. You have to actually tackle this culture revolution with a counter revolution. Without a counter revolution, then the United States will never be able to return to the values that underpinned it uh, when it was first established and when the pioneers came and wrote the Constitution. So the, the Democratic Party, which used to rely heavenly, heavily, heavenly, heavily uh, on blue-collar workers, labor unions, uh, ethnic Catholics, has now pretty much abandoned that mm. group and has now gone to the hard left and manifested by this wokeism and five-year-old children are told but in government schools by government mandates mm. that they can change their gender uh, if they want. You are suggesting uh, the need for uh, a, a counter to that lest that mentality destroy the uh, American culture as we've understood it to be. Uh, I'm not, it's not me advocating it. It is being advocated by a wide number of um, uh, Republicans, but also Democrats in their own way. And I think this is what's so interesting, is it's dissolving the old categories, left, right, red, blue. And it is revolving around it is sort of consolidating around values. Values, those that are in favor of, if you like, the woke liberal world and the monopoly of the media in this, all uh, those that are trying to, to turn it back and to reestablish values of family, decency, integrity, and really some sort of uh, honesty in life and in politics. And this has now become a very serious thing. Overtones of this are already reaching Europe too. But it's a new phase, I think, because it's, it is both appealing in some ways to both one section of the Republican Party, not of course the, the, the top elite of the establishment of the Republican Party, but many of the recently elected members of the Republican Party. But you hear similar things coming also from those that are following Kennedy, RFK. They're talking about values and a return to values. And the return principally, which he says all along, return to truth, saying truth. One of the things that uh, inspires me the most uh, and uplifts me the most about RFK Jr., and uh, he's been on the show, and, and I believe we'll come back again, uh, is his devotion to personal liberty. I have argued, and I think you have accepted uh, this argument, Alistair, that liberty comes from our heart. And when it dies there, no constitution, no law, no court can bring it back. In fact, if it dies there, no constitution, no law, no court can do much help to it. Has liberty died in the hearts of Americans in deference to some sort of egalitarianism, forced government-compelled egalitarianism? I don't think it's gone, but I think it's been largely forgotten. And there are so many distractions today. I mean, you know, on videos, on platforms, on TikTok and other things, that people, it's there in their memory, but it hasn't actually been actuated. And I think what is happening and what's happening in this, it, 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 both from left and right, if I go back to the old categories, which I've just said, don't really apply. 
but it's coming from Republicans and from Democratic uh, uh, followers, the sense of finding again, recalling values that somehow slipped out of use, slipped out of one's for forefront of one's mind. They're still there, but someone has got to say the right words that suddenly brings those back into memory and people say, ah, oh, yes, I remember that. Before we get to Ukraine, I want to ask a few more questions about this, and I don't want to get too graphic, but uh, in the state of New Jersey, where I uh, live and work, uh, the government schools are required to tell seven-year-olds, um, seven-year-old girls, uh, that they can become boys without a penis, and to make a similar uh, statement, you two boys, you can become a girl without losing your penis. I mean, this is reprehensible and emblematic of what you are, uh, what you're talking about. Do the government schools in Europe have the same reprehensible, despicable, anti-family, anti-faith requirements of teachers to speak to babies seven years old? I can't tell you if it's seven years old, but certainly my children at school have this all the time. Um, in one class my daughter attends, um, there's a large section, a third of them say that they're lesbians. When they say they're lesbians, they quote a whole plethora of identities, uh, sexual gender identities to which they say they adhere. I mean, these are 13-year-olds. They don't really know what these things mean even, but they dress as such, they sit apart as such, their parents sit apart as such. It's become very polarizing. And then people are attacked um, within the class because they are not one thing or the other, or they're said, and, and these um, so-called lesbians who sit quite apart and separately at the class do say, uh, very clearly, you know, that we feel uncomfortable. We have no safe space with the other children and we demand self-safe space. But is so, this... Yes, is it's this, all that. It's is, all this, that. Is, this, is this instigated or promulgated by the government? Uh, yes, in terms of the curriculum, yes, it is. I mean, mm. it isn't... It's not law, but it is in the curriculum and it is followed in the curriculum and the laws here, and yes, you have young children, girls of 12 who um, mutilated themselves, cutting off their breasts and changing their mm. genders. It's terrible. And mm. this, is, this is why there is such a, a, a backlash that's coming. We are heading back to some form, I believe, of sanity and some form of trying to get back to values. They've gone, you know, it's this extremism, whether it is climate extremism or extremism of gender or extremism of diversity, I think this is pushing people back and it's creating new coalitions, new coalitions in terms of voting as well as, um, you know, categories that people. I ironically, is the war in Ukraine having sort of a unifying uh, effect amongst Republicans, conservative Republicans who condemn the wokeism and liberal Democrats who uh, who promote it. I mean, the last time there was yeah. a vote in the U.S. Congress to give President Biden his blank check, that blank check is now up to 113 billion. We don't know how much of it he has spent because the, as you know, the Pentagon keeps coming back with new numbers. It appears to be somewhere 
between 40 and 60 billion. Imagine that they're only off by 20 billion and there's no outrage. I don't want to get I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But my point is, the last time there was such a vote, it was only the hard left progressives and the hard right uh, libertarians who voted uh, against it. But the vast majority of members of Congress in both houses of the House of Representatives and the Senator in favor is the war having a unifying effect on them politically. Yeah, it's having an important effect because if you take all those values of wokeism and genderism and diversityism and uh, transism or whatever you'd like to call it, now a marker of that is support for the war of Ukraine. So it's become a marker of being on side with the team of, if you like, the radical team of culture war. And therefore, being opposed to the war in Ukraine is a marker against all of that, wokeism, genderism, and all that collection of values. So it is actually changing. It's bringing the Ukraine thing back into the forefront of politics because it's seen clearly. It was like wearing a mask at some times in some places. You know, it was a marker that you were with it or a marker if you didn't, right. that you were against it. Ukraine right. is the marker, if you like, now for, so for, you, for where you stand. You live in Italy. And as you know, I was just in Italy. We tried to get together. But we couldn't get our schedules together. We'll do it uh, the next time. But I, I interacted with a lot of people and my mm -hmm. takeaway mm -hmm. is that the uh, elites uh, in Italy are European uh, elites who nominally uh, support the war, but the average everyday folks were were largely indifferent to it, which in some respect liberates the elites in the government and academia and elsewhere to do what they want because they don't have the answer to the masses because the masses don't care. Do you have the same finger on the same pulse that I saw. I was just there for two weeks. Yes, I, I think that's right. I mean, you know, you we do have in Europe a sort of, if you like, a continent-wide deep state that yes. works from within the system, within the mechanism. It has complete media support and um, messaging is uh, all uh, coordinated. And so it's very hard to stand out. So you have in Italy, as you saw, Meloni, who, who is uh, technically sitting on uh, uh, her electorate, which is anti the war in Ukraine. But she is for it because that's how you've got to do politics in Brussels. If you want to get the right coalition in the European Parliament, if you want to have a say in who's going to be the next um, head of commission, who's going to replace von der Leyen, you have to be pro-Europe. Um, you can't be against everything at the same time because they will just crush you. Here is the uh, cheerleader in chief, President Biden, uh, making what I think is an absurd statement, but uh, I'll let you uh, comment on it. Uh, in Helsinki, the day after, so we're two weeks behind now, the day after the conclusion of the NATO conference uh, at Vilnius. The uh, issue of whether or not uh, um, this is going to keep Putin from continuing to fight, the answer is Putin's already lost the war. Putin has a real problem. How does he move from here? What does he do? And so the idea that there's going to be what vehicle is used, he could end the war tomorrow. He could just say, I'm out. 
But what agreement is ultimately reached depends upon Putin and uh, what he decides to do. But there, there is no possibility of him winning the war in Ukraine. He's already lost that war. Imagine if even if anyway, he's already lost that war. How absurd is that? There's no possibility of him uh, winning the war. He, he either is intentionally misleading or believing the mainstream media, which is largely fed by the CIA and MI6. Yes, I think, I, I mean, I think this is exactly right, but it's not just him who's saying it. It's the head of CIA, it's the head of MI6, it's Blinken, it's Suleiman, the entire team. The team yeah. is sticking to the narrative, Russia, Putin is losing. Now, some people say, well, are they completely deluded? Is it they're being misled and given the wrong briefing? Or is something else going on? And I think there is something else because I think there is a pattern to this and what they're trying to do. Because otherwise it's almost inexplicable that they should be saying the same mantra, all of them together, without any sort of uh, qualification. Right. Let me stop you. For, let me stop you for a minute before you analyze and and reinforce what you've just said. Here's Jake Sullivan, the president's national security advisor, using almost literally the same words right. as the president. To your point. Mm -hmm. I can't speak to what's in the mind of President Putin. All I can say is that the basic U.S. position in this comes down to a single clear uh, point, which is we are going to support Ukraine without having U.S. boots on the ground and American soldiers fighting Russian soldiers, mm -hmm. and that will remain consistent throughout the course of this conflict. There's a CIA a director and former U.S. ambassador to Moscow, uh, William Burns at the Aspen Institute, a place to which you and I happily would not likely ever be invited. Weaknesses have been exposed by Prigozhin's mutiny, but I think even more deeply than that, they've been exposed by Putin's misjudgment since he launched this invasion as well. And I think there's a, there's a relationship between the battleground in Ukraine and what's going on inside Russia in the sense that if and when the Ukrainians make further advances on the battlefield, I think what that's going to do is cause more and more Russians in the elite and outside the elite to pay attention to Prigozhin's critique of the war. Putin is someone who generally thinks that revenge is a dish best served cold. So he's going to try to settle the situation to the extent he can. But again, in my experience, Putin is the ultimate apostle of payback. So I would be surprised if Prigozhin escapes further retribution for this. So in that sense, the president's right. If I were Prigozhin, I wouldn't fire my food taster. All right. To your, uh, to your point, what, what is motivating? I think, I, think there is a, I think there's a pattern here that explains it. Whether we look at, first of all, if we look at the, the Biden corruption uh, allegations that are made, uh, what do we see? We see absolutely no acknowledgement of anything absolute rigid, no budging from narrative at all. And then you wait, and then, as I think Jonathan Turley pointed out, you get a scandal implosion system being produced. Suddenly, a year later after he first suggested, you find that uh, his son, Hunter, has now been, has a plea settlement with late payment of tax that is due, 
no no punishment, no no jail or anything like this. And then the, all the chorus from the White House, from the press, move on, forget it, it's over, let's move on. No scandal, let's move on. I don't think it's working particularly because things are, are changing, events on the ground are changing it. We had the same with Nord Stream. No admission, nothing, narrative was held fully, and then finally the CIA comes up with a scandal imploder. Oh, we found a yacht with a few Aqualung experts on it who go down and will blow, have blown up the pipeline. And now I think we have with Ukraine, which is so, so significant and, and so disastrous, the, the failure for the West as a whole. Again, not align. Stick to the narrative. Keep it going. Preparing for the sort of scandal implosion, which will be to blame. Look, you know, we gave those people everything. We gave them everything and they failed to follow our advice. They're at fault. But not yet, because they need a few more months, really, to try and get to the point where you say, you know, Ukraine, let's, let's move on from there. Let's go to a different conversation. Find a way out of this, because they know, ultimately, you know, when all this talk about, oh, we could speak to Putin, we could have a negotiation, we could do with that. They know what Putin's position would be. I want capitulation. I want complete capitulation from Kiev. That is my bottom line, and that's what I intend to get with your help or, or without it. But with that, everything implodes. The whole narrative implodes. NATO is shown up to be no, no impotent, no omnipotent power. Western weapons are shown up to be pretty useless. Uh, NATO is not even shown to be pretty competent at running a war. America. So it's a major disaster, I think, in the making. America has run out of um, artillery shells to deliver to Ukraine. And Admiral Kirby, the spokesperson for the American National Security Council, acknowledges we've sent uh, cluster bombs uh, in their place. Is American military power, Alistair Crook, largely a myth? now exposed totally exposed it has been exposed really cruelly on the ground in ukraine the failure of weapon systems that were promised to be game changers the failure actually of doctrine of actually uh, operating um, sending off the ukrainians in tanks into minefields this the doctrine of you know 73 easting which your colleague um, led, um, McGregor, Colonel McGregor led. I, it doesn't apply, it wasn't appropriate when dealing with the Russians who spent months building their defenses for this. But nonetheless, they go on with it and they continue. And, and what we heard about the, the lack of, uh, of, of ammunition shows, you know, people go into this and they never think through. We don't go to the next stage. Has anyone asked the question, what happens if the Russians defeat us on the field in Ukraine? What mm. will be the impact on the West? I don't know, but I doubt it. They just go in, you know, with a great deal of enthusiasm and a narrative. And the narrative is everything. Oh, we're the West. We can't possibly lose. 
McGregor and uh, Scott Ritter say the war is over. The Russians have won and, and uh, Zelensky is looking for an out. I can't imagine that he would expect that out would be someplace in Kiev or anywhere in Ukraine or even anywhere in Eastern Europe. How do you see this ending, Alistair? Well, I think, I mean, Putin has said it very clearly and, and others, spokesman um, Petrushev and others have said the same thing. Um, the, 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 the regime in Kiev has to go. They say this war, Putin says specifically, this war ends when there are no Ukrainian forces in the field and no NATO weapons in the field. That, you know, is not a, a, a place in which um, any of those people you were just giving shots of um, from the team Biden are going to be able to, to negotiate on that basis. It would be impossible. That's why I think they're sticking with keeping to narrative. Russia is losing. This war is lost because it's an embarrassment and going to become a worse embarrassment. I, I hate All their this. concentration is now how to get out of this without the humiliation becoming too evident, if you like. Get people to move on. You know, drop this. You know, stop I hate to this. say this. Get on. I hate, to, I hate to say this, but this is my thinking. The, the Biden administration has made such a mess of this. The American public is so uh, sick and tired of let's move on, let's move on. The president is so desperate to change the narrative from his reprehensible, incompetent leadership to you need me now is that he might cause something to happen, which will allow him to argue you need me now. Uh, some sort of a false flag emergency type event, God forbid people die, uh, in order to induce the American public to rally around him. I don't know what else he possibly has left of his uh, decrepit administration and terrible leadership i'll give you the last word nato is not capable there isn't the, there aren't the people on the ground they don't have the weapons nato is is being exposed it's really uh an empty drum well alistair you have become a fan favorite on judging freedom i want you to know that so when and where can the Judging Freedom fans get see more of you or get more of your work? Well, I, I do those articles, a weekly article on strategicculture.org. That's probably the best place. The other one is not so accessible. I do things about the Middle East and what's happening on Al-Mayadeen in English, but it's basically geared for the Arabic world. Okay. So you have those two places. Strategicculture.org is where yeah. I get uh, yeah. your materials. Thank you very much, my dear friend. It's always a pleasure. It's great to be back in the uh, in, in the saddle with you, as we say here in the U.S. I look forward to chatting with you again, resuming our regular uh, weekly chats. Back in the so, mayhem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So thank if you, you like what you saw, like, tell a friend, subscribe. And as you know, more as we get it. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.